Moncrief on News Talk. Time now for Tell Me Why. And like every week at this time, Graeme Finley joins us on News Talk to answer a question that has perplexed our listeners. Today's question Are lighthouses still needed as the world has gone digital and has satellite navigation? Graeme joins us on the line. Graeme, how are you today? Not bad. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. Um, I see lighthouses left, right, and centre around the, 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 the country. They're beautiful things. Do we really still need them though? Yeah, I love lighthouses. I have to say, I've done a lot of lighthouse based tourism. Most recently, I went to Loop Head, which is a magnificent lighthouse in a magnificent setting. And they're always in great, great places. And the answer is surprisingly yes, but not as much as we used to. So, um, they, you know, they're expensive things, lighthouses, and so gradually a lot of places have gotten away from um, persons' lighthouses because a lot of the um, lighthouse keepers in the United States were women. It was one of the first jobs women could get in the civil service, which wasn't a clerical job, and they often inherited it from their, their husbands or they, they worked with their husbands on, on, on the lighthouse. But anyway, they've gotten rid of people. They've increasingly gotten rid of the expensive lights, and then some countries like Germany are getting rid of them almost altogether, which is really unfortunate. But um, GPS, uh, which is controlled by the U.S. government, which is why we have so many rivals to it, but it's still there, and electronic uh, nautical charts have made it a lot safer for people to go around. Um, I was on Dolly Mount Strand on Bull Island uh, a couple Sundays ago when the fog was so thick you couldn't see anything at all. And the foghorns were still going off. But I'm, I think probably those big boats were glad that they weren't depending on foghorns, uh, because they have so many more resources. But people still use them to, to navigate. It's they're a really important visual aid, which can correct for mistakes you have with the charts, with um, if your GPS goes down. And it's just, you know, the way we, we get around the world. So I mean, I, I said people, a lot of people have said, look, would you when you're driving around using your sat-nav in your car, you know, do you check the, the street signs or not, right? Or would you drive around without any lights on your car, knowing that you have a sat-nav and, and, and other people might have GPS, so they might know where you are? And, and no, you wouldn't. You know, I think you, we still need it to sort of um, correct for a lot of the mistakes we might make. Absolutely. I, I know one GPS tale. I, I was going down to Bardstown once and I put it into my GPS and eventually I found myself parked outside a field and it said, you're in Bardstown. <laughs> what could I say apart from the fact that, no, I was not in Bardstown. So if, if all this digital stuff goes down, I think having the, the um, lighthouses there around us is still very, very useful. And the sound of the foghorns is one of those wonderful sounds, isn't it? Yeah, and they really come together. I mean, so lighthouses were you know, initially they go back a long way. The, the, the earliest one is the great pharos of Alexandria in the 3rd century BC. And the, the oldest operating lighthouse is in Coruña in Spain, and I really want to go there. And then, but the second oldest is Hookhead light, Lighthouse here in Ireland, um, built in the 13th century. And I'm really ashamed not to have gone there because I've been meaning to go for ages. And, and when I'm allowed, I'm going to do it. But, you know, these lights um, are very prominent. But, but, you know, even the monks who allegedly had a sort of fire on, on Hookhead in the 5th century and, and beyond, and in fact, the monks were operating the medieval lighthouse as well, you know, they would also use noises to try and, and convince ships in the fog where they were and so forth. And, and Hook Lighthouse used to use um, fog guns once they developed guns and, and then explosions to try and warn ships before they, they set up, you know, foghorns, which might eventually be replaced with an air horn. 
Um, and so it's a bit odd to think that when it got foggy, suddenly the lighthouse was a hive of activity with the lighthouse keeper working the light and then another lighthouse keeper just blowing stuff up or, you know, setting off explosions just off the top of the lighthouse. But it's obviously very, very serious. Like I said, when I couldn't see anything, any of these giant ferries which and, and, and you know, freighters which were out there, I mean, I imagine it would be terrifying to try and yeah. survive just by the by the the foghorns, you know, to figure out where other stuff is. Right. You mentioned America, and in America, the lighthouses seem to be um, part of, of the country. They're one of the first things that were set up by the U.S. government, weren't they? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and lighthouses are a really important thing, and the history of the lighthouse is often described as a history of the first public good. Now, public goods are, are, are goods which you can't exclude people from, right? So every boat going by benefits from the lighthouse, whether they paid for its upkeep or not. But they're so important to shipping and to, to keeping boats from crashing that they, you know, they were the first thing, as you say, the, the American government set up even before they paid themselves, the Continental Congress, the, the U.S. Congress uh, established a program for building lighthouses. And, and, you know, America has more lighthouses than anywhere in the world, but we see them all over the world. And, and they just have such an important effect that just about everybody seems to need to, to have them. One of the great stories is one of the, the first lighthouses of sort of the modern age was put built by this guy called uh, Henry Wynne Stanley. And he um, had lost a couple ships on these rocks uh, in, in the English Channel. And, and so he said, right, I'm going to build a lighthouse so this doesn't happen anymore. It's ridiculous. And he got some support from the government. And so he built, which was a pretty wacky lighthouse. This is in the 17th century, which, um, you know, doesn't look like our modern lighthouses. It had flags hanging off it and all these beams and, and stuff like that. But he was really, really proud of it. And um, so proud of it that he, he wanted to be there for the biggest storm ever. And he was in the lighthouse repairing it during the great storm of 1703 when it was completely destroyed. Um, and, and he was killed, sadly. But um, before that, he had been kidnapped off the lighthouse by a French privateer who had destroyed the lighthouse. Um, and he was immediately freed by the King of France. They were at war at the time uh, because he said, look, we are the enemies of England, but we're not the enemies of humanity. So important is the having of lighthouses to everybody in the area, all ships in the area, even in a time of war. The, the, the idea that man died in his own lighthouse um, to make the point that he thought it was safe. God love him. Yeah, um, he had a great confidence itself, in his lighthouse. Pardon? Misplaced. His, his, um, it was rebuilt as well, wasn't it? A man called John. Yeah, you know, it was uh, rebuilt. Smeaton. Yeah, by John Smeaton, who was like another one of the great lighthouse um, developers of the of the 18th century. And indeed, what we see is, in many ways, Smeaton's design um, becoming the dominant design for lighthouses. We have some oddball lighthouses like Wicklow, uh, light, Wicklow Head Lighthouse is an oct octagon, but usually they tend to be round. And he based it on an oak tree um, and with a sort of sloping up side so that a lot of the big waves go up and are dissipated. And if you see some incredibly cool lighthouses like Bell Rock Lighthouse off of Scotland, you know, there's a really pronounced sort of curving slope up the sides of it. And that's because Bell Rock, which is itself an incredible feat of engineering, is on a rock with, which is completely submerged except at the lowest of low tide. So it's completely surrounded by the most violent water you can imagine. It's really spectacular to see. And, and this slope and this sort of conical lighthouse um, became really the standard. You see square lighthouses around, but, but they, they tend to follow Smeaton's design. Right. Uh, what I'm fascinated by are the developments in lighting because they, they, they're so incremental and so, so slow moving. Um, it's wood pars for, for literally hundreds of years. 
Yeah, and then and then they moved to various things, and gas was a big thing. And Bailey Lighthouse um, in Holt was the the scene of a great innovation in terms of gas lighting. So as not in the internet term, but you know the actual gas lighting. And and the great Irish, um, well, we'll take him anyway. John Rick, uh, designer John Richardson Wiggum developed this system to illuminate lighthouses using gas. And his crocus burner, which was shaped a bit like a crocus, was 13 times more powerful than the most brilliant light that had ever been known. And you can go see one of his oil lamps in the National Maritime Museum in Dunleary. Um, and, you know, they then go on to all sorts of things. My favorite, actually, is the, the one which was in Rathlin O'Byrne Lighthouse in, in Donegal, which was nuclear uh, the nuclear lamp, uh, which is um, not something I'd want to get too close to, but they used it for quite a long time until they sort of more environmentally friendly uh, alternative of solar came along. Uh, but that was a, a particularly exciting one. Um, and then the other side of it, the other part of, of the of the lamp is the is the lens, and that is truly amazing. So if you go to a lighthouse, check out the lenses. You'll see there are these beautiful Fresnel lenses almost always, and these have huge numbers of ridges which focus the light and send it out in a consistent straight beam. It captures more of the light from a single source and then shoots it out much, much farther to see using these really thin, but super sort of, they have a lot of little uh, ridges in them uh, to avoid using too much glass, but also to really focus the beam. Um, and again, if you look at the, the, the lens, which is you know the lens for the high beam in your car, for example, it's really thick, the con convex okay. lens. Um, whereas these can be quite thin, and they're just extraordinarily machined pieces of glass. They're really, really spectacular. Uh, and and another, they still, you know, you can't do better than that. Yeah, another fascinating part is the idea of living in uh, the lighthouse, because that, that was part of the deal, wasn't it? Men had to live often in these quite ro ro remote locations. Yeah, and it's not a, it, wasn't a, it was a tough life. I mean, not, even if you're not at Bell Rock, where you, you have to be winched from a boat into the, into the lighthouse because you're completely surrounded by the raging sea, usually they'd be on for about six weeks and then off for two weeks. Um, and, and it wasn't really a family-friendly kind of place. So it's, um, you know, it was a tough life, especially before sort of the general automation. You just, when you were attending the lighthouse, you were attending the lighthouse. The, the one in Hookhead used to have to wind up every 25 minutes. So when you were on shift, you were working hard on that lamp. Now, with gradual automation, you were able to um, sit, you know, in a warmer part of the part of the lighthouse and just make sure that the light doesn't go out um, remotely. Um, and now, of course, you know, there's been a great deal of automation and almost all the Commissioner of Lights, which was um, founded in the 18th century by the Irish Parliament, um, is pretty much still operating the same way today. And it operates all the lighthouses from Dunleary for the most part. Um, another exciting thing they have is an automated uh, system by which they can tell what ships are around. But that's really similar to what the um, lighthouse keepers used to do. So the, the families of the lighthouse keepers would call them, often their wives would call, um, no, the family, sorry, of, of fishermen, for example, their wives would call the lighthouse keeper to find out where their husband was because the lighthouse keeper could see them. Um, and again, this, it's, it's this sort of personal relationship with the ships going by, which appealed to a lot of lighthouse keepers, even though the work was hard and it was cramped and and you were there for a long time right and hard work while you're there um you mentioned uh hook lighthouse it, it's got an ancient history and it, it's a fascinating history as well isn't it it is it's i mean again it's it's an actual medieval lighthouse it's got lots of wonderful i'm told i haven't been there yet but medieval stonework um and it can be visited which is which is handy uh but it was really it was 
you know, begun in the 13th century by, um, by Strongbow's nephew, I believe it was, who set up a port in New Ross and wanted to have some ships actually make it into it. Um, and so he took over from the monks' previous practice of, of running a light just because the monks, being good people, ideally, you didn't want people dying in shipwrecks all around them. Uh, but they let, he left the monks, the monks helped build it, and the monks, you know, often kept running it. And, and, you know, it just tells you how treacherous the waters are around there. But again, this is something which has been seen to be necessary in, in so many places. If you look around the world, there are lighthouses all over the place. And what's really striking about them is one reason they're so beautiful is they all have different patterns. And this doesn't matter whether you're looking at the lighthouses of Tanzania, which I was doing when I was reading up about this stuff, um, or whether it's the lighthouses of Ireland. They all have to have a different pattern because you don't want to be confused about what lighthouse you're looking at. If you're coming out of the fog or if you've been at sea, you want to know which lighthouse you're looking at. And so you'll see that lighthouses develop more and more elaborate patterns just so people know what's going. So Belly Cotton's lighthouse is all black. And it started off, they put a black bar on it to differentiate it from lighthouses around. And then they painted it all black, which you might think is a bad thing for a lighthouse. But at least you knew which lighthouse you were looking at when you showed up. And this is true all around the world. You won't see lighthouses with the same pattern anywhere near each other. God, you live and learn. Um, are they unlikely to disappear because they are much loved and, and still of you know, some use um, and, and very beautiful and part of our folklore, aren't they? Yeah, and, and you know, what you're seeing you know, in the United States, and I think you'll probably see it here if it becomes too expensive to continue operating lighthouses, is a lot of the lighthouse buildings being sold off to private lighthouse enthusiasts like myself. And I should say my mother-in-law was incredibly involved with saving the East Ham lighthouse on, on Cape Cod because it was in danger of falling into the ocean. Um, so we have a lot of lighthouse uh, paraphernalia around the house. But, you know, that's what the model they've perceived, where they sell it off to the communities and they turn it into tourist attractions or, you know, you can stay in lighthouses all over Ireland. You can, you know, uh, lots and lots of the lighthouses of Ireland are still places where you can spend a weekend or a week. Um, and I can't imagine a more beautiful place, uh, place to be. And, um, you know, so to, and the only thing they, they continue to operate is the actual light itself, whereas the, the rest of the costs of the lighthouse are really borne by the people who really love them. And so with that model, we might be able to um, preserve the lighthouse um, largely as a sort of voluntary thing without undue cost to the state. One of the things which has really suffered from this, I should say, is the light vessel, which is a boat you moor out in the middle of a dangerous area or close to a dangerous area or at a place where you want people to go. Because lighthouses both warn you away, but they also tell you where to go if you're a ship. Um, and those are very expensive compared to lighthouses. And, and all of the Irish light vessels, which are sort of named after birds, have been pretty much docked or sold off. One's a bar in Paris. Um, the other one, the Kidawake, the last one I think we have, is about to be placed in some kind of heritage zone, but last, as far as I can tell, hasn't yet been set up. And, and wow. light vessels are very expensive, as you can imagine, compared to a permanent lighthouse. Right. Fascinating stuff. Graeme, absolutely fascinating today. Thank you very much for joining us. And um, uses for lighthouses, can I throw in the fact that one of them features in Marion Key's uh, current book and features quite brilliantly in it as well. If you have a question you want Graeme to answer, just email afternoon at newstock.com um, and he would be delighted to help you. Coming up after the break, the tree whisperer. Moncrief on Newstalk.